Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, you're listening to The Legacy Tapes and I'm Rebecca Atkinson-Lord and I'm here at the Tricycle Theatre with the rather marvellous Indu Rubisingham and we're going to be talking, as always, about legacy and the ideas of how you can or might choose to leave something lasting in this ephemeral medium of theatre. So, hello. <laughs> that very light subject matter. <laughs> that very light subject matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, how long have you been here now? Just over four years. Just over so four that's, years. Uh, started in 2012. Because it feels like it's transformed dramatically. Oh, does it? Does it? Yeah. Oh. Did you not know? It's really hard when you're in it. Yeah. You just, you don't, mm. you don't see. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. Don't, I don't see it from your, My, I see all the hard work. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah like, absolutely. That, like, yeah, keep going. Yeah, keep going. My colleague, Rachel, who I was co-director at Overhouse with, she always used to say, you've got six months. You start somewhere and you've got six months to remember how you saw it as an outsider. Yes. So that's, that's when you've got to make your plans then because yeah. after that, nothing will seem true yeah. anymore. Um. So that's interesting. So how do you feel it like it has changed or hasn't changed as an organisation? Like, what do you think? Well, I, I know internally we did lots of changes because, mm. um, you know, I was a different artistic director, had a different vision for the organisation yeah. and a different way of working in different relationships in the industry and stuff. So it's been huge changes, which I wouldn't necessarily... Uh, assume has manifested itself externally because mm. it's more operational, yeah. uh, strategic thinking. So simple things like we do, we plan a lot more in ahead than than my predecessor used to. So you know, and it's and how 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 I program is very very different, mm-hmm. and how we communicate uh, as a team is a is 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 it's it's, it's 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 very funny. It's also interesting what becomes myth in an organisation and, and, and therefore becomes people think it's a reality because I always remember when I started it was unallocated seating yeah. I don't know if you remember yeah, you know. Yeah. and uh, everyone everyone sort of was adamant that it couldn't go to allocated seating and I used to hate the the tension before a show of like the audience like waiting to get their seats and like you know and the, and the, yeah. and the there was easy a, a, yes, vibe vibe yeah. yeah which isn't great when you're opening a show and so I was really really stressed about this but everyone was adamant couldn't be done and then after a year it took people a year of me going on are you sure are you sure what were their reasons this is what I mean I don't think it's 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 like when something is said it, it becomes people it, it, the biggest lesson I had learnt is that actually nothing is change is is set in stone mm. because that was a really good example of something that people it's not that I think it's not they just sort of said oh you know you've only got one alley uh, one uh, aisle you haven't got two aisles uh, there isn't enough exits and entrance you'll need more ushers you know there was there was a, there was a whole list of reasons mm. um, which actually could be changed and and then we did change it and like now mm. I don't think people remember when it was when unallocated. It was unallocated. I think I just do. I remember yeah. seeing something and fighting for a seat. Um so okay so let's re- so let's no 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 that's a, it's just a really interesting <laughs> thing that like 
that structural, those those small structural things. Yeah, but it's not massive. Yeah, and it's not small because it's really key to how you how an audience experiences a theatre and. you know, it, it, actually, that was one of the reasons I started the Capital Project, because everyone was saying, unless you reconfigure the theatre, you're not going to be able to go mm. to allocated seating. And I was adamant that we yeah. had to have a better experience. So I didn't need to start the Capital Project. <laughs> no, no. no but joke. let's not that tell anybody joke. giving money that. That was a joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, OK, so let's rewind Sorry. back. No, no, let's rewind back four years. And when you... Like, when you were... <laughs> Psychologically, metaphorically. Um, When you were writing that letter that said, I would like, you know, here's my hat. Yeah, which was five years ago, actually, because I applied, you know. Yeah, of course. It takes forever. Yeah. Um, What what did you think you... Look, tell me if I'm misinterpreting, but as as someone who who thinks about, as a curator, like, if if I'm applying for a job, it's because I know where I want to take that place Mm. in a really clear way um what was it that you wanted to shoot for as an outsider like before you arrived it was really interesting because when i applied i didn't know what was really really good was i didn't know if i wanted the job i was very conflicted Mm. about whether i wanted to run a building and um so what i thought was i'll apply and see i mean that isn't what ended up happening, but that's how I convinced myself in order mm. to allow myself to apply. And what I loved about applying, because I didn't know whether I, I wanted the job, it was a genuine thing, a genuine statement of what I believe theatre should be or mm. could be. It wasn't trying to get the job. It wasn't trying to impress the board. Yeah. It was genuinely what I believed in. So I really, really enjoyed that process. And it's something I sort of talk to other directors about, you know, kind of going, just write it's almost like it becomes your personal manifesto because yeah. when you're freelance you don't you don't realize the dots that connect your work and that's what was lovely was like kind of going oh actually there is a pattern here with my freelance career which makes it work in this building mm. um so so the vision which i was very lucky enough to be able to change the mission statement quite early on to suit because i suddenly realized i saw my application and i was like God, the ideas were there right from the application to what has been delivered. So the, 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 the vision was about a place of unheard voices being part of the mainstream, international, different lenses to the world. It was this mixing and a, a real exploration of the identity of not only the British identity, the global relations uh, and a celebration of that conflict and confluence as well as a, a provocation. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, so that's what I talked about in my application. Okay. And has that changed? No. No? No. It's very... I, I, it's become more refined, it's become mm. more polished, it's become more accurate. Yeah. Uh, uh, but that, that vision was, was the seeds of that, or the kernel of that, is very much still what's happening. Yeah. And do you... So this is, this is one of the things that I always that people give me different answers to, in that when you're thinking about how to deliver that and how to make, cha- like, en- how to instigate any kind of change or shift or mm. the effective word that doesn't sound too terrifyingly risky to whoever you're talking mm. to, um, do you think about, like, how far ahead do you think? Are you, are you looking at day-to-day, like, today we will do this and today we will survive this and today we will demonstrate this or are you looking at in 20 years we're going to be uh, I don't think 20 years or, 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 oh my god who five? thinks 20 years right. really? 
Um, I mean, you're doing a capital project. I hope you're thinking like a hundred years. Oh, 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 yeah. Otherwise, yeah, it's going to okay, fall okay, down. Okay, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Um, I think yes, it's a really interesting question because I think freelance. I barely thought six months ahead. Mm. You know, six months to a year was lucky. And one of the and then what's interesting with the job, the tension in the job is actually being able to be strategic and long term thinking and having the big ideas and so that you can instigate change. But the job is so all consuming and theatres are so like something is happening every minute, every you know, it's like you're 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 firefighting or crisis managing or like having to make immediate decisions in the day. So trying to you know, I have this to-do list, which is, like, literally things I have to try and tick off today. But I try and keep in mind, like, mm. the bigger picture ideas, like, at the back of the book, yeah. so that I don't forget, because it's very easy to get consumed uh, with the immediate things, mm. tasks you have to have to <clears throat> grapple with. Um, sorry, what, does that answer your question? No? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's how do you think about it, and the answer is both. I you have to both, but it's very it hard to do both. It's actually nice at the moment to have the theatre closed because actually a lot of my thinking is big picture thinking. Mm. And actually I think it's dangerous because we don't often get enough time as artistic director to, to do the, the brainstorming, mm-hmm. to, 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 to kind of go, OK, where would I like this? What the big sky, blue sky yeah. thinking is very hard. I've been able to do a lot more blue sky thinking more recently. Yeah, yeah it's really tricky because just that sense that really what you need yeah you need like a year of of you need to be so f- programmed so far ahead that you can take time to mm. think deeply and meaningfully about yeah. about what you're you doing you need to be able to take holidays to be able to do that you know it's also it's it's, it's yeah it's it's the conundrum of the the, the mm. job i have to say and it's like that thinking that went into my application i mm. crave for it do you know what i mean because yeah. obviously now i'm much more better equipped and understand the job yeah. and do you know what I mean? Know what I need in a way that I didn't at all when I yeah. first did the job. I wonder if there's something about... I, I sometimes think there should be a structure wherein you get you get to turn up and do the job for a bit and then you get to redefine what how, the, the terms on which you took it. Yeah, yeah that'd be great, <clears> wouldn't it? Yeah. And they gave you a sabbatical so you could really yeah. think about it. Yeah. You could recoup. Here's a couple of months to think yeah. about it. Take it to the Bahamas. Let's <laughs> throw that very in. Very nice. <laughs> It'd be gorgeous. Could you go on my board and suggest that? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, no one will listen to me, but I'll, <laughs> I'll happily uh, shout into the wind. Um, so, so then I kind of was wondering a lot of how you talk about theatre and a lot of, like in, in the mission statement, it really manifests a sense of uh, values and ethics and. I infer things about your understanding of theatre's place in the world. <laughs> um, so I will ask this explicitly. Um, so what, I mean, do you think, think theatre can sh- change the world? Like, like what, actually, better question, why are you doing this? I don't know. I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I don't, I, what surprises me about theatre, because on one hand I don't think, you know, it's, you put on something on stage and, if, you know, at the most, a few hundred people come and see it. Mm. But, you know, you, you reach, you know, maybe 10,000 people or, you know, if you're at the national, maybe 20,000, 30,000 mm. people for a show. So what, what real impact is that? Uh, I don't know the answer. So on one hand, it feels very, very minuscule and, mm-hmm. a, and a pin drop. Uh, 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 so, but there is something about theatre that even in this day and age, even with film, social media, technology that really gets up people's noses, gets people up go, you know, mm. you know, you don't hear 
Do you know what I mean? You don't hear Trump having a go at, like, you know, Spielberg film, but he yeah. has a go at a piece of theatre. It yeah. annoys him. It gets up in his nerves, you know, and it's like theatre, you know, through the century, theatre has unnerved and uh, political powers and, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's fascinating. So why I don't quite... I can guess. What I think is that theatre as a medium is very powerful. When it works, it has incredible power. Mm. It's almost a religious experience. It's a congregation. Yeah. It's actors who are shamanic and trying to tra- uh, transforming. And, it's, and, and the idea, it's, it becomes a sort of a sacred space mm-hmm. in its purest, purest yeah. form. In its original form, it's a sacred space and it, and where it transformation happens. And it does all stuff happens. to us physically that ritual does. Yeah. You know, our breathing, uh, to, we, yeah. we match our breathing and our rhythms and that. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and so... There's that element. I love it because it's taken me to different worlds, different mm. places, different ideologies. It's made me learn things personally that I would never, you know, mm. I doubt I'd come in, you know. So it's and it's and and the biggest biggest thing for me is the empathy, the ability to walk in someone else's shoes without judgment, mm. which actors have to do, which good storytelling does, and that's. That's what I love about it. That's what that's what I think personally grabs me is like the it's the without judgment. Mm-hmm. And I think we spend a lot of time judging people for whatever reasons. And I without thinking yeah. and making assumptions and I'm interested in breaking those kind of perceptions. That's I think what drives me. Okay. I think oh, I was trying to think of how to explain what theatre does to someone the other day. Because it's so yeah, it's so tiny. Like you know, if it's a fr- you know if it's a fringe show, like six people are going to see it. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. It's so tiny. Um, and they were a they were a, um, a sailor, and, and and this person was like, oh, like a barnacle. And I was like, what? Okay, what the hell are you talking about? And he said, well, when you've got a barnacle on the hull of a ship, the drag that it yeah. creates can massively, like it can massively affect the That's speed really and nice. the turn yeah. and the. And, and, and that's what theatre is. It's this teeny tiny thing that just shifts incrementally yeah. the cultural consciousness yeah. and over a lifetime or a generation or a millennium, yeah, yeah. like, you've turned, you've turned back on yourself yeah. if, if, if that's what you want. Um, and I thought that was a really... Smart, I was like, yes, I steal that. Yeah, that's a good one. I like <laughs> Immediately. that. I'm going to use that now. Yeah, because it's such a nice visual, yeah. visual metaphor. Um, and do you think of yourself as... Political? Uh, I, uh, very interesting <coughs> question. I think yes, but not in the way probably other people think I'm political, because I'm political in trying to say that I don't have to be political. Hey, let's tell me what tell me what other people think. No, but I think I think I think there's an. What I mean is like uh, I'm interested in. So yes, okay. Let me go back. Yes, I am political in the sense that I think what I do, I want it to have an impact and it's a comment and it's an examination and it's a reflection and it's a refraction and all those things. But it's, uh, but it's through an emotional storytelling, it's mm. through a narrative. So that I'm interested in character and emotional engagement and narrative. That, you know, I'm not interested in the political theatre that's quite didactic. And mm. sometimes we assume political, when we say theatre, is quite didactic and it's, and it's on the tin and you know what it's about. Yeah. Whereas I'm much more... And I'm much more interested in the political of, like, putting someone on stage that you don't see on stage yeah. or that you don't hear so that they have their place on stage, that they are on the main stage. The other reason I sort of said that phrase was that, you know, I think I think by being an Asian woman in the industry, mm. the assumptions are, you know, you're, you're, 
you're asked to comment and reflect and talk in a political discourse yeah. right from the beginning of your career, which... You know, it's not that I'm against that, but I go, do you do that with my white counterparts? Yeah. No, you allow them to be artists. So my politics is to be allowed to be an artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. That's almost exactly what I wanted you to say. Yes. Um, <laughs> you, you could answer. No, no, it's fine. It's no. Um, because that must be, like, I'm aware of, <clears throat> like, having worked at Oval House, where such a big part of the agenda is is to support those unheard voices. Yeah. And it's really easy to slip into the narrative that if you if if you are brown you must must tell stories about being brown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the thing that came back again and again and again from artists with actually any kind of non who claimed any kind of non-mainstream cultural identity or sexuality or like, you know, any of those fucking identity politics boxes yeah um, was like just let me do the thing let me tell the story don't I have no interest in simplisticness and I, no one ever came to me and said I really need to tell the story about what, what, what it is and I really need to tell the story about what it was to grow, to grow up black for example and I think that's and there are artists that do that but mm. I feel like there's a real shift in the cultural narrative just now around identity as a context not a subject in art I think that was always there I just don't think it was given any airtime. <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. you know I, I think that's a different generational yeah. thing you know that's what we were talking about when I was starting it was like yeah. the frustration of not you know and it wasn't and it's not like you know I'm very proud of who I am and like mm. you know but then it's a complex Thing. But actually, then you sort of kind of go, actually, I'm less interested in what people think mm. about, or what I think about me. Yeah. I'm actually more interested in what's outside in the yeah. world, you know. Because that's interesting, that's unknown. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think sometimes some of the, some of the, like the othering, the kind of well-meaning othering yeah. of, of, like, I mean, what even is the mainstream, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, well, it's a white male... Heterosexual gays. Yeah. That's that's what we. That's the the world that sort of has the power base mm. and how that gives us our worldview. Yes, I'm going to move on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, in quite a lot of these podcasts, I I start ranting about floppy head men, white you know posh, posh white men, and I should stop doing that. Yeah, just yeah. them are really nice. <laughs> um, so, talk to me about what you think of like what you think the work because 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 so much of the work that you've been doing since you got here has been so successful like i mean fucking out like so <laughs> successful bless you um what do you hope that the ripples of that are because you know if you think about like art as this pebble that drops into a pool mm-hmm. right or or the ripples, the ripples yeah. around the barnacle, right? What are the ripples? Well, what I hope, and I want to, I want to do more of, and I hope, what you hope is that you kind of go, what you show is that people are really interested in different narratives, mm. unusual narratives, and that's that's what I hope we do here is mm. like not the unexpected or kind of slightly off the beaten track stories, but by showing that they make box office, that showing that the audience are interested. You hope that the ripple effect is that uh, 
other theatres feel, you know, will want to engage with different narratives and 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 kind of that we, you know, my biggest um, hope is that once you know once once you show that different stories and different lenses and you know the the D word diversity is yeah. kind of. Uh, uh, of value, and that means i.e. it's a commercial success, mm. everyone will engage with it. Everyone will want to do it. So so that is the tiny little ripple effect I hope that I can help push forward. Yeah. And I think I think money's a really useful like I you know, I hate that everything comes through a, a capitalist construct, but it's a really easy way to prove the value of something if someone wants to buy it. Yeah, but also it's that thing of like, you know, I was talking to a group of young artists, not young, but artists, and they were like kind of talking about process and stuff. And there was one conversation he was slightly, you know, this uh, not young, this uh, middle-aged director was like, yes, but, you know, it'd be nice if you didn't know what you were doing and you just went into a rehearsal room and da-da-da. And he was like going off waxing lyrical. I said, yeah, but I have four weeks to make a show. Mm. I have four weeks. I have to have it designed it's being built before I start rehearsals mm-hmm. in order for it. We work under... It's not even just... Well, it is capitalism because we work under time constraints, which is money. Yeah. So I have to deliver. And, like, at the end of the day, especially as an artistic director, I have to sell do shows that sell tickets mm. so that my staff stay employed. So, you know, it become, when it becomes that, though, so you can give me all the... You know, redu- you know the, yeah. the, the, you know it's just interesting because that is those are the limitations to which those are the, the structures we operate that, in, and they're the constraint the con- constraints. But actually, <coughs> there's an interesting way then to make them creative. Mm. Yeah, it's like when it's like when you're improvising. The best way to make it interesting is 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 put rules, rules. in place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no vowels. Um, okay, so that's interesting. Do you think? Because I think a, a big part that, of being an artist director that, that not everyone outside the theatre world thinks about is just that balancing act of of art versus pragmatism and money yeah. and and how you how you just balance it all. Mm, mm. Do you like how do you think about risk and innovation? Because innovation isn't always a risk, so they're separate on the list. Risk and innovation and artistry versus more pragmatic commercial, um, commercial or financial concerns? Like, how do you balance that? You, that? I mean, that's you're doing that all the time. You don't... You know, it comes into... Every, I mean, it's hilarious now. Every, you know, even... You kind of get really excited by an idea but that someone's proposing. Yeah, oh, you want to do... OK, how much... You'll be, my first question on most things now is, how much does that cost? Or what... You know, what's the, what's the logistics of that? And, like, yeah. how many days... Rehe- how many weeks rehearsal do you need in workshops? And how big's the cast? You know, mm. my... My immediately first set of questions, which is not good, is often predicated on cost. Mm. Uh, and it's also, it's also being a bit, you know, like when curating a season, it's like kind of going, okay, I know that will sell, or I hope that will sell, I predict that can sell, and therefore that allows me to take a risk on this show that might not sell as much. Mm. You know, I also try and even though we've broken a lot of the box office targets, I try and keep the box office targets low. Mm. And it's a, real, you know, uh, it's a real argument between me and the executive producer. He says, look, we've got basis to in order to raise them. Yeah. You know, it's not like we're going, you know, <clears throat> we're pulling figures out of the, out the sky. But my issue is that if I feel the target's really high, that the, 
it makes me scared. It mm. makes me nervous. And therefore, if I get nervous, I won't take the risk. It's yeah. really important that I take the risk. And I create the scenario or the, even if it's the false lying to myself, <laughs> that allows me to take the risk. Because if I don't take the risk, then we're really stuffed. Yeah. Um, Vicky Featherston said a really interesting thing in her podcast that I thought, I was like, yes, thank you for saying that. Um, and, and that she was saying that she, it made her frustrated that there was so much talk about risk and um, financial prudence as as binary opposites and and for her um, she she very much felt that that risk and that continued um, innovation or, or exploration was what ultimately made things financially successful yeah absolutely absolutely I totally agree with that. But there's short term and long term, and that's mm. the problem. I mean, I totally agree with that because, like, you know, my, you know, the most successful shows, the the, the lesson I've learned, my most yeah. successful shows here have been the shows that have been taken taken a huge risk, which people told me not to do. Yeah. And the things that I thought, oh, I'll do that because that will be conventional, that will be safe. Yeah. Have often it's been the opposite. In fact, so I absolutely agree with that. But the big but is when I mean I've talked about it publicly. Is like. You know, I've noticed it. If there's a lack of press interest in, uh, I, I can I can correlate it in uh, the tricycle. Mm. When it's non-white work or non-white narratives, there is less press interest yeah. than when it's white mainstream interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put quotation marks. But and that and you kind of go that lack of um, support mm. by the industry doesn't help the risk taking. So yeah. there's other factors. Uh, not that it will stop me, but I can see why it would stop another organisation yeah. or someone else. Yeah. Uh, knowing that you know you're likely, you know, you, you're likely to get a big article in a Sunday paper mm. if you've got your star. Yeah. So, so that that you know, we all hate that. We all. I don't think even commercial producers love that idea. Mm. But and it, but and it, we all hate that pressure of needing something like that to to sell good product. Mm. Um, so it's interesting. I, I totally agree. I think the more risks you can take or the more investment you put up front, because I think when we sometimes we take shortcuts mm. um, <clears throat> because we think it's financially prudent, where actually it's not because mm. it doesn't help the show. And then and, um, and yeah. you're shortchanging the potential income. Because people potential. know when, like things feel cheap. Yeah. Things feel... Yeah, or you've just you've just not quite got there because yeah. you've had a week less of rehearsals. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I, and also I think for the future of theatre, mm. I mean, it's easier now not to take risks, but it will kill theatre in the future. Yeah. Yes. Uh, let me just go back to something you said about the about the press. Why do you think the press are less interested? And I think, again, I think it's a complicated issue. I think arts editorial pages are getting less and less, so the fight for space mm. is more... I, You know, it's also they have to sell papers. They probably think their readership might not be, you know, maybe a mm. decision based on predicated on who they think their readership is. I, I don't know. Mm. I don't... I, I, it's, you know, you... It's... Yeah, and, you know, I think there's a whole host of potential... Again, economic and financial pressures mm. and reasons. But it's it's just interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I feel like there's a... I feel like if you have any... Even the tiniest 
influence on the cultural collective cacophony alliteration um, I feel like there's a real obligation to be aware of what the voice you're putting into it does um, and I don't have a lot of patience with form your thought Rebecca I don't have a lot of patience with, with the argument that um, this is what this is what will sell papers because I feel like part of being part of having a voice in the cultural narrative it is to serve taste of course but it's also to shape and and educate it Mm. Um, and I wish I mean but you could say you could say does a daily mail reflect taste or does it shape taste well I think it bloody shapes it. Yeah, so I think papers do do it. It's yeah. just which directions they choose to go into. Yeah. I no, I absolutely. I don't they think just, it's what people think. I it's think. easier to do it in the to the right to the right for some reason. Yes, is it? Well, I don't know. They I seem to know. be more the bloody successful, successful, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, I, I yeah, I kind of I, yeah. That's a, that's a good thing. That's a good a good point because why why isn't there a why isn't there a rabid left-wing chunk of the population that that w- will attack people in the street for being fascists? I think they're called Corbynites. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I bet quite a lot of our listeners are Corbynites. Sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, no. You just hear about that. You know. Yeah. The, you know the same kind of. Yeah, the, the really, really old school, yeah, old yeah. school lefties from the seventies. Um, okay, again, let's go back a little bit more because you were talking about one of the first questions you ask when someone comes to you with an idea. Now, is how much does it cost? No, I don't. I mean, that was that was me. I don't. No, but you have no, a pragmatic head. Right. I like, do. This is pragmatic. this isn't a judgmental question yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I like. So I'm aware that when I when I started work as as leading an artistic program, I. Had such good intentions about art and process, mm. and yeah, within like six weeks, I was like, okay. So pragmatically, how do we make this happen? Where's the money coming from? What do we need? Yeah. It, and it's about the pragmatism because there's no point getting carried away with the art. Yeah, you know, you can't build your house until you've laid your foundation. Yeah. Um, but then you don't want to bother laying a foundation unless you know the house is going to be awesome, right? It's a really tricky yeah. thing. I do like to speak in metaphors, and um, so. What's my question? Yeah, when you were a, when you were a freelancer, how, like how has that changed from when you were a freelancer? Did you think like that in the same way? No, no, not at all. Because I wasn't. Yes, of course, I wanted the show to sell out. Of course, I wanted audiences to come and see the show, and of course, I wanted to do it well and have critical success and stuff like that. So all those things were similar, but it didn't. It didn't matter to me what the box office figures were going to be, mm. you know. Uh, and that's the biggest... That's the biggest shift, is that it absolutely... Uh, what, that's what I worry about. How yeah. are tickets selling? Every day, what the box office reports are. What, how much yeah. is selling? Is it selling? Great. Okay, oh, God, we've got a problem here. We've got to start kicking, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas... So it's a, it's a very different mechanism. Um, and it's about... Yeah, so that's complete. I mean, it was really nice when I've directed at the National. It was just bliss because I actually didn't care what the box office figures mm. were, and it was well, suddenly that freedom of not having that 
responsibility. And have you ever been in a position where you haven't cared about the box office or you've had the freedom not to care about the box office, but at the same time, you know, you wanted an elephant on stage or something and someone somewhere was, was crunching the numbers and saying no? Like, have you ever felt, as a freelancer, did you ever feel the limitations of financial pressure? Yes, of course, all the time. Um, but I think it is one of um, the pre- prerequisites of working in the industry of understanding how to work within a budget. Mm. It sort of slightly irritates me when people start getting a bit stroppy about their design or, you know, the needing... You know, it's one of the things you negotiate right up front and you work towards. And, you know, of course, again, it's like saying, you know, if I had 10 million weeks, my work would be amazing. It's like, yeah, if I had, like, 10 million pounds, I'd have the most amazing set. Actually, okay, if you don't have that, what are you going to do? And what is... And, you know, and... And I like that process of, like, we can't quite afford it. OK, how do we deliver those ideas? Mm. Because that's often some great creativity comes out in that, those moments. And then a lot of rigour comes out in those mm. moments. So, yes, but I, I think I've always been... I think I've always been that kind of... It's like the rules of the game. It's like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good girl. I'll play within the rules mm. and, you know, use the rules in an interesting way. Yeah. Yeah, it's much more interesting that way. Yeah, um, I uh, I really enjoy cooking, and my husband is rubbish at looking at what's in the fridge and making a meal. Yeah, like if there's a recipe and we shop for the re- like he has to shop for the yeah. recipe and then anything else is wasted. And I uh, my the thing I'm great at is going okay we've got this 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 we're going to have this we've mm-hmm. never had it before it's going to be amazing, and um, and I think there's a real like I think if you think about like when I'm when I'm thinking about art making art in a lot of ways it's about what are we going to have for tea and what are we going to have for tea there's what you would like for tea which yeah. might be like roasted partridge but actually if what you have in the fridge is, is eggs and yeah. peppers you're going to have an omelette and the omelette will be wonderful and it will be and, it, and it's a creative act to make those things into something yeah um because for, because because I'm a producer and a director, and those things are so symbiotic mm-hmm. to me, I think I must be an absolute fucker to work with for other producers. Like I apologise to all of them ever, because the, the because I'm there going, if if I do this, does that buy me this? Yeah, yeah. You know, if I if I don't have an elephant, can I have an extra week's rehearsal? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it must make producers' lives quite hard, but it makes my life much more much easier because I know what you understand. I understand and I know what the trade-offs are and what and what something costs like aesthetically yeah as well as practically um, okay so when so thinking about you with two hats this is like a many part question with two hats um, so when you go from this place mm-hmm. and that is this physical building mm-hmm. but it is also this metaphysical plane mm-hmm. right to wherever you might go next okay. you mean not. when I die when you die okay. right <laughs> <laughs> I try to frame it nicely <laughs> because really early on I was like well when you die and someone was like what oh, yeah, yeah, why yeah, are yeah, you yeah, making yeah. me think okay, about okay, that yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so when there is no more Indu both here and in the world generally oh, okay. um which is a sad thing like what do you want like what do you want to leave behind um and that yeah so that should cover both like when you are no longer artistic director here what do you want this place to be or what do you want it to be becoming 
Um, and and then what you know when when the Guardian write your obituary in like mm. seventy years time, <laughs> <laughs> um, what what are the things that you'd like to have endure? Okay, well let's start with the building first because okay, so when I leave here, <clears throat> what do I want? I think whatever I want, it will not be what I want because that is the nature of. No, what I mean is, is like people take over buildings and new artistic directors come in and they do their own thing. Mm. So it's not for me to say what, you know, that, you know, it's, it's not for me to tie this place into anything mm. that is permanent and can't be changed. Mm. So, but what I hope to leave behind is an essence or a smell of what had been before. Mm-hmm. Um, of people feeling welcome, everyone feeling welcome. Mm. I hope that 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 sense of different communities uh, feeling welcome. I really hope that stays because I think that's sort of politically what this theatre should be doing, considering its location. But hey, you never know. You can't predict what happens. Um, but and I hope lovely memories of people having had lovely mm. times and amazing experiences and kind of remember it fondly and. And emotionally, mm. that's what I hope. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Uh, when I die, you know, I think this is really interesting because having lost people, mm. I think the biggest memory, uh, the biggest thing that someone can give you is is their love, their emotion, their their their, their impact on you personally. Mm-hmm. So I, as much as I'd love my productions to be remembered or have to affect people, people don't remember plays. I think very little of me will be remembered. It's a bit sad, isn't it? But apart well, from... Only if you think that's what... That's no, your but, value. No, but, you know, I don't mean it like... But I think my, hopefully my impact on people will... That's what, mm. that's what you know, whether it's my, through my friendships or through them, someone seeing a show or someone having worked here, that... I'm just being realistic, you know, rather than like, you know, oh, it'll be because I'll have changed the world of theatre. Do you know what I mean? You know, you can wish for lots of things, but the reality is like, is our our effect on individuals. Mm. That's what lasts, and whatever that is, and Mm. I hope it's meaningful and positive, as opposed to, like, the fuck she's got. (laughs) (laughs) You never liked her. Pain in the arse. Yeah. I think, because I wonder I'm going to listen back to all of these podcasts because I'm sure that I always say something different at this point, I think. But, like, I think today, I think the thing that I would want is that people say, where she was, it was better. Yeah. And that means that I can be... It's that I loved them and they were not... And it made them happy. Or it can also be that I somehow changed the world. (laughs) But the thing is, like, if you have done that, they probably won't remember they probably won't remember that's mm. what you did because it'll just happen and they won't quite realise why. Mm. And it just will be. Yeah. And they won't pin it to you. They'll just pin it to something. I think that's okay. I'm yeah, cool that's what I mean. That's nothing. what I'm, yeah. Yeah, like everything passes into nothing, right? Yeah. Oh, God. Um, what's that poem, Ozymandias? Yeah. The, uh, the, the, and it's, the, you know, the, the statue in the... I don't know it off by heart. He comes across two great big feet in a desert land, and on the bottom it says, I am Ozzy Mandu's king of kings, look on my work, she might despair, and this great big work has passed into nothing. Um, 
I kind of like that. I think yeah. everything should everything should fade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, last question. If you well, last question. Unless there were then interesting sub questions, um, <laughs> <laughs> which there might be. And um, if you could change one thing about uh, about the world on oh any God. level, right? On no, any fucking level. No, you can't ask that yeah, I can. question. Oh, yeah, I can. What would it be? <clears throat> And you can think of it as like you, you you click your fingers and it has this subtle psychological change in people, or you can think of it as like a global law that is perfectly implemented. Like you can think about it in a lot of ways. And there's something about it's, it's something around religions that change. That's what would change. It's something about like. Uh, yeah, it's some law that, from the beginning of time, that stopped people saying that that your religion isn't right. Hmm. That yeah, so you were there was the, you, you could have your own belief, but you couldn't you couldn't undermine other people's beliefs. There's a tenet in Hinduism. I'm not saying Hinduism is great, you know, because there's there's ways it's practiced that hasn't been, been great, but. What I've really liked about it is that it says different religions are different pathways to the mm. same thing. So there's an absolute acknowledgement and respect for other religions mm. in that tenet. Yeah. And you kind of go, I think that tenet should be in every religion. Admit fallibility. No, no, it's not no. I'm not saying no. that. You can say it, no, but you just sort of say your way is a different pathway yeah. to the same thing. Okay. So as there was that acknowledgement, then you wouldn't get intolerance. You wouldn't get this need for conversion. You wouldn't get this sense of conquering because the biggest conquering religions have been Islam and Christianity because mm. it's all been about conver- converting. Mm. You wouldn't, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. We probably wouldn't be in the shit we're in now with Keep the Middle better. East, yeah. do, do you know what I mean, between Islam and Christianity. Yeah. Do you, know, you know. A lot of people wouldn't have died horribly. Yeah. In inventive ways. We might not have even had the rise of the British Empire. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And if we did, it wouldn't... It would have had a different... It would have had an economic rather than a cultural impact. Yeah. We wouldn't have had, you know, this sense that, you know, if you don't believe in me, then you're not worth something. Mm. And therefore, your life becomes meaningless. Mm. Probably wouldn't have inequality, but you'd have individuality. Mm. Yeah, there are very few gods that when you look into it, you don't think, well, you're a dickhead, I want nothing to do with you. Yeah, no, exactly. Most religions, most, most, most of the tenets are really interesting mm. and really fascinating. It's just when they start saying, but you can't believe in anything else. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's quite that's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good one. That's like a massive macro one. Yeah. I was going to go with something on, like, disposable plastic or something really not nearly as important. But that's cool. Oh, God. Um, is, is, there, is there anything that you feel like you want to expand or you want to be like, this is the thing that I should have said? No. For that. No, it was great. It was a great conversation. Cool. Thank you very much. Was that all right for you? Yeah. Absolutely. Because there isn't, like, there's not a right or a wrong. It's just about hearing your thoughts. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.